Hello and welcome to PhD Talk. My name is Miriam Bias and I'm the host of PhD Talk, where I have the pleasure of talking to PhDs and learning from them about their topics and views on the world. For today's episode, I talk to Lerke Westerlafen, who is a PhD student at the University of Copenhagen. She is part of a bigger EU project called Lex4Bio, which aims at giving policy recommendations when it comes to the transition from using mineral fertilizers in fields now to using bio-based fertilizers and how that can be safe and efficient. You might hear some rain and I hope you find that relaxing rather than annoying. It started pouring when we conducted the interview and you might even hear some thunder. Anyhow, I really hope that you enjoy today's episode. If you have questions or comments, please leave them below the LinkedIn post of this episode. And then let's talk science. Today's introduction is in Danish. Jeg hedder Lærke, og jeg er i gang med en PhD ved Københavns Universitet på Institut for Plant- og Miljøvidenskab i Jordfertilitetsgruppen. Og jeg er ved at færdiggøre min PhD, afleverer her slutningen af september. Så jeg er i gang med at samle det hele, alle mine resultater. Hi Lerke. Hi Miriam. Thank you for taking the time to for talking today to us and to everyone listening. Thanks for inviting me. Sure. <laughs> Would you like to start introducing yourself? Like what did you do before you became a PhD? What was your path towards applying for a PhD position? Yeah, sure. So I think I've always been fascinated by nature sort of also had a fear for nature, a lot of respect. Mm -hmm. And I think so my passion for natural sciences started already when I was a kid. And what was what was it that fascinated you or what was it that scared you? I think that's difficult to say. I think I was, I've always just felt like if, for example, I'm at the coast looking out at the ocean that it's just so big that it's bigger than me and Whenever there was a thunderstorm, it was just, I was amazed and a bit scared of the powers. Yeah. That uh, nature was just so much bigger than me. I think I was, it was partly fascinating, partly also a bit scary. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I actually didn't plan to, uh, to work with natural sciences from the beginning. I was, um very into drawing. I was one of the kids that never stopped drawing. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to become an architect. Yeah, so I spent all of high school getting good grades so I could come into get into the school of architecture. And I got in, but it wasn't for me. And I could feel it immediately, but it took me a year to admit it to myself that uh, that wasn't my place. And then when I finally decided that uh, I was going to drop out, I also decided that I wanted to study geography because that had always been my favorite subject. I had an amazing uh, teacher in primary school in geography. So that had been my sort of natural science passion. Then I started uh, studying geography. Yeah, geography is a field that not everyone knows. So maybe I can <laughs> give um, yeah, my definition of it. 
So maybe it's a bit fluffy, but I like to see it as the connection between humans and nature. So how we as humans impact nature and also how nature impacts us. So how we're mutually like bonded. Do you have an example? Maybe agriculture mm -hmm. is a good example. So we have manipulated the natural ecosystems to, uh, yeah, produce food, but we're also very dependent on the agricultural systems to function. You can also see a geographer as a Swiss knife. A geographer can do, just like a Swiss knife, a bit of everything, mm -hmm. but it's not really good at anything in particular. Okay. <laughs> but it has its strengths, so it sounds a bit negative, but, but then you can, like, so you combine all of the subjects, biology, physics, chemistry, social sciences, economics, um, and then you can see things in a new view that super nerdy biologists couldn't because if you focus very much into a field, then you can't, I mean, you can't focus into every field. So, so there's a strength in, in knowing a bit about everything. And connecting the dots between the different yeah. subjects. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's, that's at least what I really like about geography. Yeah. So I started uh, my bachelor's in geography at University of Copenhagen. I thought I wanted to specialize in the atmosphere and climate change. And then I was also very fascinated by, by the ocean some point, but I, I ended up falling in love with the, with the soil. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And, and I continued, um, a master's, uh, also in geography at University of Copenhagen, where I specialized in soil science and climate change. And then. After that, I spent a lot of time as a climate activist um, and also looking for jobs. And then I I saw this uh, PhD position here at the University of Copenhagen, uh, which I applied for. Mm -hmm. And now I'm almost at the end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What is, what is it that fascinates you about soil when you say that you fell in love with soil? Is there a why or is it more of a, I mean, why do we fall in love? Mm -hmm. Not for any particular reason i guess <laughs> yeah good question yeah so i think it was very much related to agriculture because agriculture is such a huge part of our lives we all have to eat mm -hmm. uh, and agriculture takes up um, a lot of of surface area and yeah so i was very fascinated by how we can take care of the soils we use for agriculture um so we can keep producing food, but also so we can yeah, improve the ecosystems also for benefits of other organisms than ourselves. And that also in view of climate change, then like yeah. you see them related. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so soil is also very uh, important for, for climate change. It stores twice the amount of, of uh, carbon as the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So in, in terms of climate change, it's also very relevant field definitely and then in your phd you could combine these two the soil and the climate yeah <laughs> yeah i could mm -hmm. yeah yeah so in my phd i um i look at bio-based fertilizers and i focus on nitrogen which is an, a very important element for all living organisms and that includes plants yeah so farmers they apply nitrogen as fertilizers in the fields. And 
the fertilizers, the bio-based fertilizers that I study are made of different waste materials. So it could be the, um, the organic waste from our households. Um, it could also be animal bones or industrial uh, wastes, organic waste, but all, all, all of them are organic. So they come from, uh, from organisms originally. Um, so now in your PhD, you are part of a bigger EU project, right? Yeah. And what is that, what is that project about? Yeah. So, uh, it's called Lex for Bio and, uh, it is about bio-based fertilizers and creating knowledge about them. And the aim is to provide this knowledge for policy making. And policies regarding like giving recommendations to farmers or giving recommendations to people producing the bio-based fertilizers or like all of it? Yeah, so it's um, recommendations on how to regulate bio-based fertilizers so farmers know how to use it, so they know how they work, how much they should apply and how they should apply it to the um, can they apply it on the surface of the soil or should it be incorporated, like mixed into the soil? All of those like specifics on, on how to use them. So ideally in the end, a farmer would be like, okay, I have that soil and I want to grow that crop. What bio-based fertilizer should I use? Okay, I should take this one. And then you're like, and you should surface apply it or you should incorporate it. You should apply it. June 5th, <laughs> I guess that's too specific, but kind of like, yeah, exactly. Like those parameters. Yeah. yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, so both for, so the farmers get a good yield, but also mm -hmm. so you don't end up with environmental pollution mm -hmm. from using them. Yeah. And so in the project, we, we have different work packages. There's one working on like the social economics of bio-based fertilizers. And then there's one working with soil quality and one working with uh, phosphorus and then one working with nitrogen that's the one i'm part of and then there's one working with uh, life cycle assessments and then there's one working with pollutants we cover different uh, different aspects and then we work with the same bio-based fertilizers so we have a list of almost 80 bio-based fertilizers in total where half of them are High have a high content of phosphorus, so that's mainly the phosphorus people working with them. Then half of them have a high content of nitrogen, so that's mainly us working with them. And then there are some overlaps, and most of them, I mean, contain both nutrients. And then I guess in the end you would also have to know whether they like interact in some way, right? Like if they can just be applied together in any way, or maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. So the nutrient balance is also. Also important. Mm. Um, so either, uh, so many of them are also uh, composed of a mix of source materials. Many of the bio-based fertilizers we work with. Yeah, I mean it's it's also possible to sort of get the right nutrient balance based on what source materials that you then use. Yeah, or you would have to supply some extra nitrogen somehow if the nutrient balance is not. It's not right for the crop. Yeah, sure. If I know I want the nitrogen-phosphorus ratio of this and this, then I know, okay, you can take so and so much of this and so and so much of this, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so with the mineral fertilizers, it's maybe it's less easy, but it's maybe easier because you mm -hmm. have the minerals in pure form. 
mm-hmm. and then you can combine them. But here you're dependent on the source materials, which have nutrient contents of which varies, and then yeah, you sort of have to to puzzle it together. Also, getting it like in a homogeneous form. Yeah. I guess that too. And also some source materials vary more. So the product will differ with time. So that's also an, <laughs> an issue. Yeah. And then you, you look at the nitrogen in the fertilizers. And then what is it that you're trying to, to find out? <laughs> yeah. So I focused sort of three different areas. Mm-hmm. So I've been looking at the fertilizer value. So by conducting a field experiment, we have been uh, looking at how do they actually work as a fertilizer? How much, uh, how does the crop grow in the field? And and then I've done two studies in the lab. Mm-hmm. And one of them was about uh, ammonia volatilization. Uh, so that's sort of an environmental concern with these bio-based fertilizers or potential environmental concern that I've investigated And then I've also looked into soil quality because these fertilizers, they, they come with organic material. Most of them, they can potentially also benefit uh, the soil quality. Mm-hmm. So I've also looked into that. And how would you define soil quality? What is soil quality? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, soil quality is all like there are different terms for it, mm-hmm. um, which are Yeah, they're different, but they're also related. Um, so we also have the term soil fertility, soil health. Yeah, but soil quality is about uh, how the soil functions, its ability to provide nutrients for plants, and also its ability to uh, filter water. So is function always related to agriculture, like the soil function or soil quality? Is that always looked into I looked at the view from agriculture? Oh, no, not to not only agriculture. So okay. it could also be related to the groundwater quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, toxicity. So uh, how how it can buffer pollutants, um, and also how it uh, how it affects biodiversity as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there are more like functions. So not not only the, the agricultural use of it. And how is the how is soil quality then part of your PhD? How do you um, look at soil quality from your from your angle? Yeah, so I've um, I've looked into how the biobased fertilizers I work with uh, affect soil quality. So I've chosen some different soil quality indicators that I've measured in the lab, and I set up an experiment where then I applied the biobased fertilizer to soil and I let it stand for one year and then I took out samples uh, at three time points during that incubation period mm-hmm. to see how uh, yeah how the soil quality developed and how it was affected by the biobased fertilizers and yeah and I, I applied them at two different rates so one rate which would be like normal application rate in the field What is an also yeah so that is uh, what you would normally apply for a crop in the field for one year in relation to to nitrogen okay yeah mm-hmm. so based on total nitrogen content because the fertilizers I work with are nitrogen fertilizers well they also contain other nutrients but I've focused on nitrogen so I've yeah calculated based on total nitrogen 
And then I made like an accelerated application where I applied what corresponds to 20 years of annual application. Okay. Yeah. At once. At once, exactly. Mm -hmm. To see how soil quality would be affected in the long run. So ideally you would do a long-term experiment out in the field and apply every year mm -hmm. um, and then see what happens. But since these uh, bio-based fertilizers that I'm working with are very new on the market and haven't really been investigated a lot, I try to do this simulation of long-term uh, application. I included a soil that had been treated with uh, compost for 17 years in a long-term trial uh, and compared it because I had this compost also, the same compost product that had been applied for 17 years. Mm. I had this as well. So I applied that like at a rate of 17 years of application. And then I compared these two. And the results are a bit yes and no. So for okay. some of the soil quality indicators, the lab setup that I, I made could predict what happened in the in the long term, mm -hmm. but for others, not really. Mm -hmm. And also the question is if that applies also to the other fertilizers that I included, because they are also different from the compost. So, But I included it to get sort of an idea about whether it's... Uh, It, it made sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and the results from, from that study show that the, the biobest fertilizers generally do improve soil quality, but it varies and, and not all of the biobased fertilizers improve all of the soil quality parameters. And there's also difference depending on, on the biobased fertilizers. So could you see trends or dependencies or? Gen is there any general conclusions or is it too It was too actually complex? a bit difficult <laughs> hmm. to see trends. Yeah, but one thing that stands out is that the compost that I included uh, was the bibrous fertilizers that improved the soil quality to the highest extent. Okay. Was there something that surprised you uh, on those results or on the experiment? I guess I had hoped to get a bit uh, <laughs> clearer results mm -hmm. so it was a bit of a messy study mm -hmm. so i've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what what the story was because it was a bit here and there some of the fertilizers uh, improved some parameters and not others and and then at some time points but not at other time points so it was a bit a bit difficult mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah okay um yeah and then It's a bit contradictory. So you have this compost that that really improved the soil quality, but then in the field trial that I did, mm -hmm. it gave really low yields. So they weren't actually they weren't different from the the treatment I did, where I didn't apply any nitrogen. So it didn't really have a fertilizing effect. The, mm -hmm. the compost out in the field, mm -hmm. yeah. So you can say it, you can't have both. Maybe like, yeah. So then, then it improved. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> Not then it improved the soil quality, but that didn't reflect in the crop, right? And one would it, it when I guess one would expect that if the soil quality improves, then you have more yields. Yeah, but that didn't exactly. But that takes time. Yeah. So maybe mm -hmm. with time, the compost would probably have resulted in better yields. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this was only like one 
one year of application out in the field. Mm-hmm. So yeah, building up soil quality takes some time. Yeah, mm-hmm. for most of the parameters. So, so do you think that bio-based fertilizers will gradually replace manure fertilizers, or are we far from that? Or is there actually enough bio-based materials that could? Yeah. yeah, that's a really good question. So there's definitely some political push uh, to replace mineral fertilizers with bag-based fertilizers in the EU. So we just had this new fertilizer regulation, which includes the bio-based fertilizers. Um, previously, they were in uh, the waste regulation. Mm. So it's a new thing that now they are in the fertilizer regulation. So that also means that those who generate that waste or have to deal with that waste before had to pay to get rid of it, and now they're getting money to get rid of it. Is that a result of that change or that shift in regulation? I'm actually not too much into the uh, <laughs> to the economics part of it, but yeah, I mean, definitely uh, things that were wastes before can now have a value as a fertilizer if. I mean, if farmers are willing to use them. Uh, so I guess that's that's the question, and that will depend on, I think, first and foremost, how they perform in the field. Farmers wouldn't be willing to accept that that the yields are really reduced, then they would still use the mineral fertilizers. Yeah, from our field study, so we, we did one here in Denmark, one field study for two years, testing 10 bio-based fertilizers. Yeah, and then I'm, I'm part of an EU project. So we had uh, in the project, we had uh, field sites uh, at other places. So we had four field locations in general. We actually had five, but one of them failed due to <laughs> drought. Yeah, but the, but the four of them we have results from and the backwaste fertilizers in general performed quite well. So we calculated a replacement value. Yeah, so you have... You have one. Uh, you have a reference of a mineral fertilizer in the experiment, and then you use that to calculate at the same uh, application rate, total nitrogen application rate. Mm-hmm. How well do the bio-based fertilizers perform? And then you get a percentage from zero to one hundred. So one hundred would be that they perform equally well, and they can one hundred percent substitute mineral nitrogen. But if you, for example, get fifty percent fertilizer replacement value then if you want the same yield you have to apply some mill fertilizer or you have to apply more of the bio-based fertilizers okay yeah yeah and on, on average in in our field trial at, at the four sites the replacement value was 70 percent it's quite okay but it it varied uh, <laughs> quite a lot but actually half of them were above 75 Uh, percent. So quite a lot of, of them were in the higher end, but then there were also some in the lower end. And that was, for example, the compost uh, that performed really poorly. Yeah. Uh, but we couldn't see any trends. So like we had hoped that then we could say, okay, this fertilizer, that works at all sites. It's very consistent. It has this high uh, replacement value, but we didn't really see that. that. So the bank-based fertilizers that performed well uh, at some sites, performed poorer at other sites. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really see trends that we were hoping for. So there are still some some things to figure out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So in the end, it would maybe make sense to know your site 
And I guess what are those parameters, like the, the, the amount of soil or the share of, uh, sorry, the share of sand in the soil or like the texture of the soil. So then saying, okay, if your soil is really sandy, then you should use this or this or this bio-based fertilizer. But if your soil looks mm -hmm. like this, then maybe try this type of bio-based fertilizer. And then we would have to redistribute all the bio-based fertilizers around regions. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but with our data, we couldn't really distinguish that. And then maybe getting back to the fertilizer value or the replacement value, does that mean if my if my value is like the 70%, as you said, or below or higher, that means that compared to mineral fertilizer, I'm losing 30% of my nitrogen or where, what, what does that mean? Yeah, so you can calculate it both based on the yield, so the grain yield you get. Mm. When you harvest, uh, but you can also calculate it based on the nitrogen uptake in the plant. Yeah, so there are, yeah, it's a bit technical, but, mm. but there, are, there are different ways to calculate it. But this one with uh, the average of 70%, that's calculated based on the yield. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so that doesn't mean that the rest of the nitrogen is, is lost or not necessarily? Not necessarily, but it could. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so it's, One thing that's difficult with the biobased fertilizers is that they um, contain a lot of organic material and yeah, then a lot of nitrogen in organic form. And that needs to be mineralized by the microbes to become available for the plants. Yeah, so you need the timing to be right. And if the timing is not right, then you have some nitrogen that becomes available after the plants have stopped taking up nitrogen and that can uh, leach to the groundwater or be lost in, in other ways. It could also be that, that you have some left the year after that can become available for the next crop. And yeah, we also tested that. And there was like, there was a small residual fertilizer value. So the fertilizer value in the next year wasn't statistically significant. So that means that the timing of applying the fertilizer becomes more important than it is with the mineral fertilizer, is that right? Yeah, it is. And I, I think it's also, it's a lot about um, like knowledge about it. So we have, I mean, there's been a lot of research on mineral fertilizers mm -hmm. and they have been improved ever since they yeah, came on the market. Uh, and we have these slow release mineral fertilizers and you need to know <laughs> mm -hmm. how it's released. Uh, different conditions because uh, it depends on on soil moisture and and temperature as well. Whereas the the uh, mineral fertilizers are less dependent on, or in, at least in theory, they are less dependent on uh, on the environment. Mm. I could say. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess with the mineral fertilizers, the system became more mechanistic, right? Mm -hmm. Less natural. So maybe that made it more predictable. And now if we want to shift to buy best fertilizers, then of course we get maybe back to being it more natural. But then yeah, that might mean that we lose some or that there's less yield or something. Yeah, yeah. The question is then if you gain something, for example, with improved soil quality with time, mm -hmm. if that's then worth it maybe. Or by it could also be. So they contain organic matter, which contains carbon. Mm -hmm. So you... Could also get some carbon storage in the soil, so that could mitigate climate change. And so, I mean, there there may be also 
other benefits of using the biobased fertilizers. It also needs to be economically feasible. And what happens to the biobased fertilizers now? Like if they're not applied to the field, just some examples, if you have some. Well, so a lot of, a lot of the materials that are used to produce biobased fertilizers would have like previously just been uh, discarded as wastes. And now, I mean, there are also, it's not only fertilizers, uh, it's also biofuels and producing biochar. There are many biomaterials have become popular for, for many reasons mm-hmm. now. So I think we'll, yeah, we'll see increased competition also for, for bioresources. Another thing that I was also thinking is, because for the mineral fertilizers, there is no, there's basically no storage issue, right? If I want nitrogen, I take it from the air and here you go, basically, right? But for the bio-based fertilizers, if I have to be quite specific on when I apply it, but I guess we generate bio-based fertilizer or bio-based all, like all year round, right? So would that mean that we have to store it for, for many months or could it mean that, okay, if we generate it during summer, it goes into a, a digester. If we generate it during winter, then we wait until we can apply it to the field or is there ideas like that or how would that, how would, what is your? Yeah. Thing? So, so the biobased fertilizers that I'm working with all sort of the products, they're processed. So with raw manure, mm-hmm. you definitely have a, a storage and transportation and also is spreading issue because it's large quantities and yeah, there are a lot of emissions from, from storage. Yeah. But with the, with the biobased fertilizers, then you can produce them year round and store them. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Because you sort of, most of them come in this like dried pelletized form so they can keep, I mean, not forever, but they can, they can keep for some time. Yeah, and you put them into bags, just like mineral fertilizers, and and you can spread them using uh, the same machinery as mineral fertilizers. Uh, so they're much easier to handle once they've been dried and pelletized. Okay. Yeah. I guess the, the volume is probably a lot bigger, right? Or mm, is it not, not necessarily bigger? Mm, not ne- Well, a bit bigger, yeah. Okay. Hmm. It depends on the nitrogen content, mm-hmm. of course. So... Some of them um, have quite high nitrogen contents and, and there, of course, you don't have that much mass. Yeah, but the quantities are a bit bigger, mm-hmm. so all of them compared to mineral fertilizers. Yeah, yeah. sure. So, but that wouldn't be a big issue, you think, in terms of storing it? or No, I don't think, yeah. not with the ones with high nitrogen contents, mm-hmm. no. But then, I mean, I've also looked at digestates and, and there you have... I mean, many of the same issues as with raw manure, that they're liquid and, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you have a lot of mass because of all of the water. But then you can further process the digestates. I mean, mm. there are so many different products and there are yeah, new, new products coming all the time. <laughs> so mm. it's really, yeah, a growing market. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, so there will be more biomass fertilizers that is... That is quite sure. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, because mm-hmm. of your new, the new regulation and mm-hmm. and the focus on yeah circularity of of bioresources and circularity of of nutrients. And do you think that you you look at the world differently because of what you what you have been doing? Like, 
I don't know, when you read the news or when you see a field or do you think you have a different view? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so maybe as an example, I've been there. So I'm moving into a community um, in the countryside and we'll have a small area for for producing veggies and and uh, and yeah we so we are discussing what how how should we uh, how should we produce the food and i think definitely i'm i'm a bit like destroyed <laughs> if you like okay. or like i have I, you mean i know like you come with all of this knowledge so i find it really difficult not to bring it in to the discussions Okay, but why wouldn't you? Yeah, I I also do. Yeah, but it's just it becomes very um, so. Yeah, sometimes I feel like you take the freedom away. You just come and hammer them in the head and say, oh, "You can't do that. That's not sustainable." And tra -tra 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 -tra. okay, <laughs> um, but sometimes you also just need to remind yourself that it's you can't do everything like perfectly sustainable. But um, <laughs> mm. I think I think there are these things. I remember once my my sister told me. So we just went to Netto to do some shopping, and um, yeah, and, and I had just been in the in the vegetable uh, section for ten minutes or something. Or maybe she, I guess she she it's exaggerated, um, but um, but I had just been looking at at uh, two broccolis, trying to figure out which one was the best option in terms of uh, carbon footprint and and uh, environmental issues and and you can't because i mean there's only so much information on on the broccoli so yeah, yeah. but i i just try to do uh, all of the calculations and then at some point i just decided that i was just gonna buy everything organic and i wouldn't think anymore Mm. It was just like that's the rule. It was just to make it more easy, and then maybe uh, I don't know if it's sometimes better to buy apples like conventional apples from produced in Denmark um, as opposed to organic apples from New Zealand or something. But I just take the organic, and then I don't think because it's yeah, you know, it becomes too hard to think yeah. about all of these things all the time. Yeah, true. Yeah, also packaged organic or unpackaged. Not organic. Yeah. Like one of my favorite <laughs> dilemmas. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. <laughs> <laughs> But I also try to tell myself that I'm I'm not responsible. Like it's of course I'm responsible, but I see it more as that we need we need some system change. Mm. It's not up to the single person to make all of the right decisions. In any way you can't. No, we don't have all the information. No. Yeah. And we don't have the options in many cases. Um, speaking of organic or conventional agriculture, in terms of bio-based fertilizers, um, can can they go in any field or is there restrictions or how does that work? Yeah. So I think that's also something, I mean, it's up now it's up to uh, each country to implement mm. the new fertilizer regulation. But some of them are already certified for organic farming. But yeah, I guess that depends on uh, on the input material. 
like what what they're made of yeah because that would be I mean, particularly organic farmers they really need nutrients so that would be a a huge advantage for them if mm-hmm. they could uh, have some nice fertilizers <laughs> yeah 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 which are easier to handle do you see any risks of using those well waste materials if we want to call it like that on farms or on soils yeah i mean depending on on the input material yeah um for sure that could that could be some pollutants um that we don't want in the field and yeah so in in the project that i'm part of we also have a whole work package working with with pollutants uh, investigating the the biobased fertilizers uh, that's definitely also a focus and what are such risks what what could be a risk so it could be heavy metals um antibiotics because if i'm like thinking in a really evil way <laughs> if there is now this loophole in uh, if we want to call it loophole that some of the materials which were waste before can now be turned by best fertilizers wouldn't someone be interested in like ah maybe we can somehow label our waste in a different way and turn it into a bio-based fertilizer do you think there is a risk for that mm-hmm. for waste that is not actually fit for soil application or i don't i don't think so actually because they would mm-hmm. have this uh, this ce mark like, i don't know if you've, but the, many products have this ce yeah. mark which is like a quality proof Mm-hmm. If you like, um, mm-hmm. so all of the fertilizers, all of the biobased fertilizers will have this. So there will be some, um, uh, standards for them. So it's not just, just going to be like a free market where everyone can put anything in a bag. There mm-hmm. will be like standards. And also you need to know how it works. So you need, as a farmer, you know how much to apply and when and how. And yeah. So yeah, there will be some restrictions if you like or or guidance yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. because already following the debate on whether we should apply like sewage sludge on the fields or not there are Mm. so many pro and many against yeah exactly yeah finding the right way yeah and sewage sludge is actually sewage sludge i can't say that (laughs) 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 sewage sludge is not uh is not part of the fertilizer regulation yet ah okay Mm. because of this so yeah yeah Mm, okay Mm. Mm-hmm. That was decided that it, that should not. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is your vision if we think forty years ahead? Where are we with biomass fertilizers compared to mineral fertilizers? I hope they have substituted a lot of the mineral fertilizers, and that we've gained a lot of knowledge on them, so so we know how to use them uh, without. Um, causing environmental problems and so farmers can can feel safe about using them do you think consumers could be reluctant to to that like knowing that there is these products put on the fields and then we eat the food that's coming from it that people were like oh no i prefer mineral fertilizer yeah i think so Mm. if uh, if you told them what they're made of (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. so if you told someone that you're eating something that's grown with animal bones. Is that vegan? Yeah, that's the question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. But if you don't know, <laughs> you don't care. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, <laughs> I think that's, I mean, there's also a lot of um, 
I know in Denmark, so in Denmark, um, farmers, organic farmers are allowed to use some conventional uh, manure and many, like, so they did some years ago, they did this, uh, yeah, they went around interviewing people, telling them this, uh, people who buy organic food, uh, yeah. like really are really into buying organic food and they got really surprised that that was allowed. Mm-hmm. So I think definitely also knowing the input material of many of these bio-based fertilizers would, yeah, would maybe scare people. Yeah. Would it be another label on our food? <laughs> Original <laughs> fertilizer? I don't know. I think, I think I see it more as, uh, you, you need some control that you don't, that pollutants don't end up in the food and you don't contaminate the soil pollute the environment but when you've done that i don't know i I don't think i personally think that people need to know like they need to know it's safe Mm -hmm. yes definitely Mm -hmm. but um it's not it's not that i i think we should keep it a secret Mm -hmm. as such but i don't think we should have maybe have a label like this these apples are grown with dead animals I, yeah, I don't think that's very constructive. Maybe no, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, we don't have labels telling people how pigs are raised. So no, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Would you like to share some of your joys and your struggles doing your PhD? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's had both, yeah, yeah, both joys and struggles. I mean, it's been really exciting doing this PhD. Yeah, so I'm I'm a very curious and nerdy person, <laughs> so which was probably also how I ended up in, ended up here. Yeah, so I've just been really into what I've been doing, and I've had many days where I've just time has just like flown by. Then it's seven o'clock in the evening. Oh, I have to go home now because I have to eat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's been really, really exciting. Um, but it has also been tough, partly, I think, because I've been quite ambitious. I guess all PhDs are quite ambitious. Things have taken much longer than I thought. And when I did my planning, there wasn't really any room for things to fail or things to take longer time than than they do. And they've all done. I mean, that's also what research is about, that things fail and then you try it in a different way and you succeed and things aren't as straightforward. No. Um, <laughs> Especially since you're working with nature, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 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 And you have to set up a new experiment and figure out how, how you can make things work. Um, mm. And it just takes so much time and much much more time than I had thought. Yeah, so I think that has been tough. And then and then I've also felt sort of trapped sometimes. Then you've planned this experiment and you've started it and you also have other things to do. So, for example, I've been both in the field and in the lab and you also have to do some writing and attend courses. And I mean, there are so many things. So it's not only one thing at a time. And then you've set aside... Uh, two weeks to do an experiment in the lab, for example, do part of an experiment in the lab, but then it just takes so much longer and you can't just extend it. So Mm -hmm. you end up staying very long nights for many days. 
and that has been quite exhausting. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think if I were to do it again yeah. <laughs> with all of the knowledge that I've gained, I would uh, I would be a bit less ambitious. Mm. <laughs> yeah, plan smaller experiments in general, just do a bit less because it was a bit too optimistic. I guess many start like that, but maybe we all have to go through it. Yeah, I think so. Maybe yeah, part of the journey. I guess also if somebody had told me then. I'm Maybe I wouldn't really have listened. Yeah. Because I just wanted to do everything. Actually, I wanted to do way more than I ended up doing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's difficult because you have this drive. You really think it's so, that is so interesting. So it's, it's difficult. I guess it's good to be ambitious in a way, but then not to go too far. Definitely. <laughs> and then I've, I've kept a track of my working hours mm -hmm. that has really helped me. So when I've had these long days in the lab, then whenever there was a period with a bit more time, then I, I took a day off. Which okay. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And so I, I think it has really helped me like seeing it in numbers. Mm -hmm. that, okay. I've actually worked two weeks over time now. I have to, mm -hmm. to uh, take some shorter days or some days off. Yeah, it's good to keep track of that. Yeah. Also to allow oneself to then exactly. go home earlier because otherwise you're like, no, I still have to stay until, I don't know, five or four. Yeah, exactly. Even though I know I worked too much last week. Exactly, yeah. yeah. At least I'm like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I knew that about myself when I started. So I, I started keeping track of the hours mm -hmm. actually yeah. from day one. Then I have a few reminding questions, remaining questions, and you can answer them very fast. And it will be over very fast. <laughs> in the morning or in the evening? I guess in the morning. Okay. If, if you refer to when I'm most productive. I'm not, I'm not, not explaining anything. Okay. <laughs> okay. Coffee or tea? Uh, both. Both. Okay. <laughs> Do I have to choose? Usually you have to choose. <sighs> okay. Then I choose coffee. Okay. But it's difficult. It's difficult. Canteen or lunchbox? Lunchbox. Science or nature? Science or nature? Oh, that's a difficult one. <laughs> I guess I would have to go with nature. Nature. Nature or art? <laughs> nature again. Okay. Twitter or LinkedIn? Uh, LinkedIn, I guess I don't have Twitter. Okay. <laughs> That's an easy, easy question. Yeah, I'm not a huge uh, social media okay. person. <laughs> okay. You don't have to. Um, then if you don't have anything else that you'd like to share, then we call it an yeah. interview. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you very much for today. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed today's interview, that you learned something new today about biomass fertilizers, geography or the world in general. Thank you for listening today and I wish you a great week and then I'm happy to welcome you here again in two weeks. Until then, all the best. Bye bye. Yours, Miriam.